0: Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. And we're going to look at three different stories surrounding the first Christmas and find out why these stories were included in the you know the amazing historical um, accounts of the life and the birth of Jesus. And I think you're going to find uh, these stories to be a source of unexpected hope and, and inspiration um, this holiday season. I pray that they're a blessing to you. But I think... Um, getting started this morning, diving right in. I, I think as adults, we all have uh, really very different Christmas experiences and circumstances, right? I mean, the older we get, the more complicated life gets, and things just get different. But when we're kids, like, Christmas is just about the same for every kid. Not that there aren't some kids in and, and maybe challenging circumstances and that kind of thing, but, you know, Christmas is still something that kids look forward to. Every kid looks forward to Christmas, Right? And, uh, you know, as, as kids, when you're getting close to Christmas, like sometime around when you get all that candy, you know, like in, in, in October, the, the countdown starts not too long after Halloween, right? And, and, you know, it's just like, when is Christmas going to get here? Anybody have one of those Christmas countdown calendar things at home? And maybe growing up or maybe you have it now, that kind of thing, and every once in a while you cheat and tell your kids that Christmas is coming a little later than what That No, you don't do that. No. We never had one of those things growing up. My friend Chris always did, and so we'd always get the update. Hey, how many days of Christmas today? Well, one, one fewer day than yesterday, Jared. But it just still took forever for Christmas to get here. And then you got out of school for the Christmas break, and then you knew Christmas was close. Because like when the adults start stop talking about it and they actually start doing something about it, you know that Christmas is on its way. And, and here's the awesome thing about Christmas as a kid is that no matter how long it took, and no matter how long, you know, we were kind of built up with that anticipation, Christmas always got here. Like eventually, Christmas got here, right? There was never a year, hopefully, there was never a year, there was, there was never a year where the adults in your life told you, well, no, this year Christmas didn't come. No, like, we were broke growing up, and we still, Got Christmas every single year, right? And and even broke, you know, there were some years that are better than others, some Christmases better than others, but Christmas always came. You could always count on Christmas. Now, here's something else that we might share in, com- in common this morning. And it's it's confession time, all right? We're at church, it's confession time. How many of you during the Christmas season would sneak around to find where your mom hid the presents? Yeah, come on, lift those hands. Come on, be proud. You're an adult now, statute of limitations and all that kind of good stuff. You're all right, right? And you notice I said where mom hid the presents, because you know dad wasn't doing any of the Christmas shopping, but we all looked around for where mom hid the presents. Anybody ever find them? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, you got real excited about that, right? Anybody want to be really brave this morning and admit that you pulled some of those out and played with them? Yeah, now what are you getting nervous for? Anybody ever pull one out and play with it and break it? No, you can't do that, right, Sandra? You're dead. Like Christmas ain't coming if you break a Christmas toy, right? And so I never did any of that. I was pretty much the perfect child. But anyways, <laughs> good to be here with you guys this morning. Um But Christmas always came eventually Christmas happened. Every year the stores and the days off from school and the time off work and, and most of our families came together and Christmas eventually happened. And then as soon as Christmas was over, like on the 26th, we start counting down how many days till next Christmas, right? And and here's the thing: if you think our Christmas waiting, you know, over those two months or six weeks or however long, if you think that built up a lot of hope and anticipation and frustration and impatience. Can you imagine waiting 2,000 years for the first Christmas to ever come? 2,000 years. That's a long time, right? That's like almost as long as when you have to stand behind someone in line who's going to pay by check. Can I hear an amen? Like 2,000 years is a long time, and you know, Christmas can, it can make things worse for some of us for sure. And it can be bittersweet, right? Christmas at times can be kind of a remembrance of who's not there. Sometimes Christmas is bittersweet because of who is there. Sometimes the pain around Christmas is financial. Sometimes the pain around Christmas is relational. But I think for most, Christmas makes things better, and it's hard to wait for Christmas. And I can't imagine waiting 2,000 years For Christmas to get here, right? And and it's usually a time when we can get together and lay aside our differences and all of these kinds of things. But these were the same kinds of circumstances, the same kind of emotion, the same kind of tensions that all kind of were surrounding and revolved around the first Christmas that these people had waited 2,000 years to see happen. Now, we got to talk about this, and this is week number one, so you're going to have to give me just a few minutes to kind of set the scene. But don't, don't unplug. You need to know this. you got to hear this. But we find the story of our human beginnings in, in this incredible ancient book called Genesis. And, and the thing about Genesis is some people say it's allegory, and most Christians say it's literal. But any way you slice it, Genesis is an amazing, amazing book. And there's some really, really deep human truths in Genesis. And Genesis opens by telling us how the Creator God, made a good world, and then how humans started getting things all twisted up and all jumbled. And it was kind of the result of this this selfish free will thing and then just being really bad at judging character. But Genesis, right from the beginning, and all through chapter 1, it's like the author of Genesis is trying to tell us over and over and over again that God is good. And all through chapter 1, it's, it's like he made the light, and the light was good. He made the oceans and the dry land, and that was good. And everything he made was good, and the world was good, and the food was good, and the planet was good, and work was good, and relationships were good. Husbands and wife didn't fight. He never forgot an anniversary, and she never had to ask him if that dress made her look fat. Our life was just good. Think about that one. As you, you'll see what happens. But then we see, as we look at Genesis There's this new character kind of slithering onto the scene, and and as he comes onto the scene, he starts telling people something that they had never even had reason to think or to consider before. And what he told them was that God is, in fact, not good. Even though there was zero evidence that God was not good, all of the evidence pointed to the fact that God was good. This was the original fake news. This guy came telling people, That God was not good. And he starts putting out on social media, God's holding out on you. God's actually working against you. God is, in fact, not good. And you can find a better version of good outside of the guidance of a good creator because he's not really that good after all. And in spite of all the evidence that they had, all of the evidence around them that God was good, the first humans choose to believe a lie that God is not good. And they make a choice to stop trusting a good God who had only ever given them good things and better advice, and they ate the forbidden fruit. And we all know about that kind of story. We've probably heard about Adam and Eve before. And instantly, like right away, they start paying the consequences for looking for good outside of God, and if I could sum it up in my own way, this is just me, but I think that what happens is they stop thinking and they stop behaving in ways that, that are better for everybody or that are good for everybody, and they start thinking and behaving in ways that are first and primarily seem good for themselves. and this is probably the biggest result of humans walking away from God, separating themselves from God. This is the most destructive part of abandoning and uh, abandoning our original design, made in the image of a God who was only ever good and who had only ever given evidence that he was good. And so people began to increasingly live for themselves. And I mean, it doesn't take very long for things to go south. Like by page four of Genesis, we find one brother murdering another brother. And there's a lot to unpack in that story. And there's just one old Bible commentator put it just very succinctly. He said, when man fell, he fell a long long way. And boy, that's true, isn't it? When we look at the world around us, when we look at the headlines every single day, it just seems like, how in the world could this world ever have been good at any time? And, and though we continue to see traces here and there and, and hear the echoes here and there of God's goodness, at times it's like those visions of God good, God's goodness are harder and harder to trace. And the echoes of God's goodness seem to so quickly fade. But even though People believed a lie that God wasn't good. God is still good. And God came into that brokenness. He did not turn his back on their brokenness. God came into that brokenness, and he promised the humans, one day I'm going to send a rescuer. One day I'm going to send a rescuer that's going to crush the head of the liar, even as the liar strikes, the rescuers heel. And he's given this word picture, this story picture of the child of the woman coming along, and there's a serpent, and he's going to crush the serpent's head, crush the head of the liar, the one that had told him that the creator wasn't good. And if this eventual child was going to crush the head of the liar that told him that God wasn't good, it only makes sense that the way that he would eventually, the way that this rescuer would crush the head of the liar would be through one act that would ultimately and forever prove that God is good. That God is good. And we know, of course, that that happened, but we're skipping ahead, right? And, 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 and in essence, what God was promising humanity is that I am still good and my rescuer is on the way to prove it. And this was the opening of the story of the Bible. Now we're going to have to leap ahead, skip ahead a little bit because I assume that everybody wants to eat lunch at some point. But the promise is that God's going to send a rescue. They're given to everyone. But here's the thing. Everyone, it seems like, forgot about it. And so God needed a someone to carry on the promise of rescue. And that someone was named Abraham. But the someone named Abraham was someone who was sent to be a reminder to everyone that this promise was not just for a few people, it was going to be for everyone. The coming rescuer wasn't just going to be for a few chosen people, but it was going to be a a rescue for the whole of creation, all the people of the earth. And so God chose Abraham and God chose his family to be the family tree that the rescuer would come from. And this was important to them. This was their identity. They were the people of the rescue. And then Abraham's family grew and they grew until they finally became a nation. They were the nation of Israel. These were the Jewish people. They were the people of the rescue. And for generation after generation, for thousands of years into the future, not all of them, but there was always at least a handful of them that would get up every single day and they would live their lives as the people of the rescuer. They would live their lives every single day in anticipation that this could be the day that the rescuer comes. This could be the day that our rescuer king, that God has promised to everybody and specifically to us, this could be the day that he shows up. And they called him the Messiah. But he was the promised child, the one that was going to crush the head of the liar, and prove the goodness and the love of the Creator for all time. Isn't that a beautiful story? Isn't that a wonderful story? There's so much tension in that and anticipation, and we can kind of see how it kind of mirrors our experience as kids waiting for Christmas. But here's the sad part. Like 99% of Abraham's family that waited and waited and waited for the Messiah, for the rescuer, they died before he ever showed up. I mean, it was taken so long, literally thousands of years. I mean, we can hardly stand the eight weeks from Halloween to Christmas. They waited for thousands of years, and they waited, and they waited, and then they prayed, and they waited, and they read God's Word, and they waited, and they listened to God's messengers most times, and then a lot of times they didn't. and, And generation after generation died still waiting for the promise to come true, and it never came true or it didn't come true yet. Let me back up a little bit. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going home. That's a horrible story. But but over time, what happened is that a lot of Abraham's family stopped waiting. It's taken too long. It must just be a fairy tale. It must just be a myth. Maybe our ancestors got it wrong. Why should we get up every single morning and, and devote our lives to a story that's thousands of years old? But we have never seen evidence of it. It's a story that's built up thousands of years of unfulfilled expectation. And so a lot of them walked away from the story. They walked away from their identity as the people of the coming Messiah. And you guys know what that's like, right? To be waiting for something. waiting, And then there are times when you think it's almost there, and then it just kind of seems like it gets further and further. Anybody ever installed software on your computer? Right? Like seven minutes remaining. Three minutes remaining, 27 days remain. Like, what, what happened there? Like, all, I thought it was close, and then all of a sudden it jumped up again. Who's on the internet? Who's on Netflix? Get off. I'm trying to upgrade my Mac, you know? And it's just, at one point, they thought it was time. Maybe it's only 70 years away. Daniel shows up, one of their preachers, he says, Hey guys, it's here. Zero years waiting. And there's like, oops, 490 years to go. And they're waiting, and they're waiting. And they're waiting, and so a lot of them abandoned the story because the story seemed almost too good to be true, and the story seemed to be about a God who seemed too good to be true. And so they abandoned their devotion. They abandoned their hope in the coming Messiah. But there was always a remnant. There was always a handful of them. They got up every single day thinking this could be the day, believing and expecting and hoping that this could be the day when the Rescuer, the Messiah, would finally, finally, arrive. They would sing songs to each other. They'd say, don't stop. Believing. All right. Yeah. So today what we're going to look at is the story of two of these people, two of Abraham's family that didn't stop believing that God's promised rescuer was on the way. And here's why this is so important. Here's why I want you to hear this. And I, I hope you lean in for the next two hours as we to I'm just kidding. That's not happening. Don't worry about that. But here's why I think you need to listen to this. Here's why this story is so important. This is why I think this story is included in the Bible. If you've ever wrestled with your faith, if you've ever wrestled with being a Christian or living as if there's a God and He actually matters, you know there are times in your life when God feels so quiet like when God seems so distant and so far away. And God, you know, have you yeah, I, I don't know that you've noticed me in months. God, I'm not sure if you've noticed me maybe in years. Like, God, where are you? There are times when we think, why am I still doing this? Why do I still attend? Why do I still give? Why, why am I still serving? Why do I even believe anymore? Right. And if this hasn't happened yet in your faith, walk, just hold on. It's going to happen. Any veterans of living for God know what I'm talking about this morning. Can I get an amen from somebody? And there are times and seasons of, of our Christian life where we think, you know, am I missing out on something better? Why am I obeying? Why don't I just move on? Or Why don't I just move in, right? Why, do, why don't, why don't just, I just stop doing this and start doing that other thing that I've been stopping myself from doing? Why do I continue to live my life Day after day, as if there's something bigger than me, there's a bigger story than my story that I am a part of. And if you grew up in church like me, maybe your thought is, you know, am I just doing this because my parents told me to? Am I just doing this because it's my family tradition? Am I just afraid maybe that if I abandon my faith or abandon my walk with God, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, that somehow things won't go well for me? In other words, is this more superstition than something that I really believe. We've all had times and seasons where this is something that we struggle with. And I think at every point, you know, or at some point, I think every believer, maybe especially half believers, like if you grew up with a context for God, but you never really got into it for yourself, maybe you never researched it for yourself or studied it or did the homework on your own. in our attempts to be good Christian people, In our attempts to be faithful to God and live a good Christian life, there are times and there are moments and there are seasons where we look around and think, where is this going? And what am I really getting out of being a Christian? Is there anything really to this? And if you've never thought that before, if you've ever thought that before, rather, felt like that, maybe it's happened before, maybe it's happening now, or maybe it's coming soon, I'm here to tell you this morning, Christmas is for you. The Christmas story is for you. And if you have those doubts, and if you've had those doubts, you're not alone, and you're not weird. It's happened to more than just you. And there's a lot of ways when the story, where the story that we're going to look at today is actually your story, and it's my story. So we find the story of these two believers, these two still believers, in what's called Luke in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the third one in there. And I kind of like Luke because he shows up kind of like us. Luke didn't show up as an original Jesus follower. He wasn't there when Jesus was in his public ministry. Luke was a doctor who turned into this investigative journalist. He started, you know, hearing about the Jesus movement, even became part of it. But he wanted to find out was, what was going on. He had some, some questions. And so Luke did what any of us would have done. If we had been living during the time when there were eyewitnesses to Jesus, we would have gone and interviewed them, asked them questions, and that's exactly what Luke did. He went and talked to them and wrote down what they said and put it all together, and then he sent a copy of his findings to his buddy named Theophilus. And and as he's deciding where to begin his account of Jesus' story, as he's thinking about all of the amazing things he's heard and all of the witnesses that he's encountered, Luke chooses to start with these two people that we're going to look at today because he saw something. So remarkable in their story. Something that I'm sure spoke to his own faith, and I think it can speak to ours as well. And it starts a little something like this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron. And so Zechariah was a priest, Luke is telling us. In other words, he, and this was all a family thing. So Zachariah was not only a priest, he was a, a priest's kid. He was a preacher's kid of a preacher's kid of a preacher's kid. And, and Elizabeth, his wife as well, she came from Aaron's family. This was all a family continuation thing. So both of these people were preacher's kids from preacher's kids from preacher's kids. And here's the, the amazing thing about these preacher's kids is that both of them were righteous in the sight of God. After Luke did his interviewing and after Luke did all of his investigating, what he found led him to believe that when God looked at these two, he was impressed. Like, they're doing it right. They're living right. They're talking right. They're spitting white. Like, these are good people. There was no no dirt, no scandal that he could find. And in fact, they observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And if you've ever tried to read the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament laws and rules, you know that that's a lot. There's a lot of commands in there. Like, we don't even like to read through it. These people lived it. Like, they memorized it. They had it as part of their... These are people who gave up bacon for their faith. Yes, there's a murmur in the crowd because you know. And they're blameless. Like, if you sent a PI to follow them around and snap pictures, like, he never even would have caught them putting bacon bits on their salad. Like, they're blameless, and and they're living out God's commands and being good people. Why are they doing it? Because they had a 2,000-year-old promise given to their ancestor Abraham that you, you are going to be the family. You're going to be the nation, and through you, the rescuer is coming through you. The Messiah is on His way. But here's the thing. For the last 700 years, God hadn't done anything for this family nation. For the last 400 years, He hadn't even spoken a single word to the nation of Israel. 400 years. And still, Zechariah and Elizabeth, day after day, with no evidence that the promise was going to come true, lived their lives blamelessly because of a promise. And I'm sure, you know, we we think, well, man, if they're living for God and if they're doing right, you know, I'm sure that even though they didn't get the promise, they probably had lots of other things happen. Like, they they were blessed, right? Because that's the way it works. Like, you be a good person, you do good things, and then God always gives you good things. That's the way it works, right? City grace? You're laughing because you know that's not really the way it works. And so if we were to ask them, hey, Zechariah, Elizabeth, tell us. You've been living blamelessly. You've kept all the commands and all the promises. How's that working out for you? Tell the folks at, at home. Give the folks at home an update. And it says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. They were doing all the right things, but they were childless. They were, they were of such good reputation that we can't find anything to blame on them, but They couldn't have kids. They were preacher's kids who came from preacher's kids and they kept all of the rules and not like other preacher's kids who shall remain nameless, right? These, These preacher kids were actually good preacher's kids. They were doing all of the right things, but there was no little feet, no spaghetti face, no refrigerator art, right? No running around in a diaper and putting on dad's work sandals when he came home from temple, just you know, and, and other people of Israel have abandoned the promise, and they haven't. Other people of Israel have abandoned their calling; they haven't. They've walked away from the story of the rescuer. These two have not. Here, these two are faithful to God, and they're they're good people, and they're steady, and they're faithful, and they're generous, and they're loving and kind. But no child, no dream of a family coming true, and they had prayed for this. We find out a little bit later in the story, they had prayed for this. What couple wouldn't pray for this? They had asked God for what they so badly wanted, but it seemed like through God's silence that God was giving them a resounding no. And so now, as life goes on, they age and they get a little bit older and it turns out that a child, it was getting to the point where a child was the only thing, not the only thing that they didn't have and it says they were both very old. Not only did they not have a child, But it was getting to the point where they were losing hope of ever having a child. There seemed to be not a chance. There was no medicine back then. There was no in vitro back then. There were no miracles, no answered prayers for them. And and they just kept on being good. They kept on being faithful. They kept on believing. They didn't stop believing in the promise of a rescuer coming. And This makes their faithfulness really stand out, doesn't it? Thousands of years old promise over 700 years with no sign of God's activity. 400 years, nobody's even heard a word. No answered personal prayers. No answered national prayers. And at that point, Israel had become pretty much a laughingstock. And they're thinking, man, 2,000 years ago, God gave a promise to our ancestor Abraham. And he told him, I'm going to make you famous. Well, that happened right? Everybody knows about Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you into a nation. Well, that happened, you know, seemingly against the odds a family became a nation. He said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. Well, that kind of happened. Like we can see, you know, where that mostly came true. And then God said, I'm going to curse those who curse you. Well, that didn't seem like it happened at all. They had been cursed and enslaved by other people. And then then the promise really takes kind of a turn south and, and being really hard to believe. Way back when God gave the promise to Abraham, he ended it with this. And all the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. All of the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through your descendants, your family that's going to one day become a nation. And here's where the story really gets hard to believe. Now, they had had a king named Solomon just under a 1,000 years before. Since that king named Solomon, Israel at this point had changed control. They had changed hands of ownership over 25 times. Can you imagine a nation being enslaved by 25 different groups of people? By the time of our two believers, they had zero international clout. Nobody took them seriously on the international stage. The entire world was somehow supposed to be blessed through Israel? but 25 times they'd been passed around. They were oppressed by Rome. And then to add insult to entry, 65 years before this story, and I think maybe Zechariah and Elizabeth had witnessed this, about 65 years when they were children and their dads were serving as temple priests, Rome had begun to take over the world. And the Roman general Pompey showed up in Jerusalem and occupied the city of, of Jerusalem, and, and walked up the temple mountain, walked right past the temple guards, and right by the priests, maybe their own fathers, walked right by the priests into the temple. And then he walked right into the inner part of the temple, the holy of holies, and everybody's jaw dropped because nobody was supposed to go into the holy of holies uninvited and unannounced. In fact, only the high priest could go in there only once a year and only after careful ceremony and, and preparation. And if anybody else went in there, then the rumor was that God was going to strike you dead. And I say rumor because Pompey walked in, marched in, looked around. And then Pompey turned around and walked right back out and nothing happened to him. So wow, is his God greater than our God, and that's surely what Pompey would have thought. It's surely what the Romans would have claimed, that our God, Jupiter, is stronger than your God, Yahweh. And I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth remember the day that their fathers came home from the temple and, and were confused and brokenhearted and questioning because God had done nothing. God didn't even respond to Pompey's insult. God had certainly not struck him dead. And Roman arrogance grew in the Jewish confidence in their Messiah King, their rescuer that they were a special people above everybody else, it took a devastating blow. But that little boy and that little girl remained faithful to the promise. And every single day, they never stopped believing. They never stopped hoping, and they lived their whole lives faithful to a seemingly silent, seemingly absent God. And then they met each other, and they got married, and then they suffered infertility and the cultural stigma that existed in that day. They suffered heartache and longing together. They prayed prayers that seemed unanswered, prayers prayers for themselves, prayers for their nation, prayers that the Messiah would, would hurry up and get here, holding on to a forgotten promise. And somehow, was Israel to be, was Israel to have an impact on the world? And the answer seemed to be, growing and growing and leaning towards a no. And, and from us to them, I mean, if we were able to tell them, Zachariah and Elizabeth, look, you, you guys are great people. You're beautiful people. I mean, so admirable that you're you're sticking to your faith, But but it's over. Come on, Israel's never going to be great again. There's no way anything significant enough to change the world is going to come out of this dusty little corner of the Roman Empire. I mean, sure, keep doing whatever makes you feel better, but Stop hoping and stop expecting because it seems like it's killing the rest of us, right? Stop defending God. Quit praying prayers that seem to never be answered. Quit serving in a temple that seems to echo so empty and hollow, especially after Pompey went in there and came back out and God did nothing about it. And if we had ever told him that, if we had ever given him that advice and that counsel, we would have been dead wrong because Christmas was on the way. The rescuer was on his way. It was taking a really long time, and nobody could seem to understand it. But you got to understand the God of all creation, the God who made the world, the God who created time and everything that lives within time. His promises will never fail. They can't ever fail. And so there's no sense in telling them that God was never going to come through because God can't but come through, and there's nothing that can stop His purpose. There's nothing that can stop god and the reason i think that luke begins a story with these two people i think it's because their faithfulness as we're about to see actually becomes the turning point in the story of god sending the rescuer king their devotion made them more than witnesses of god keeping his promise it actually made them participants in god bringing about the promise and the fulfillment of the promise and the reason that this is so important to you and to me because it's because there have been times or there will be times in our in our faith, there will be whole seasons of living for God that we will wonder if God is listening, that we will wonder if our prayers will ever be answered or did they even make it out past the ceiling and we 're not sure, come on somebody, you know what i 'm talking about you 're not sure if god 's still there you 're not sure if God cares maybe i 'm too insignificant, maybe i 'm still too small. But I am telling you, if you are wondering if God is gone, and if you're wondering if God has forgotten you, the answer on Christmas and the answer that we find from Zachariah and Elizabeth is a resounding no. God is not gone. And no, God has not forgotten you. I don't care how hopeless it seems. I don't care how deep your heartache. I don't care how disappointed and what doubts and fears are trying to convince you that God's not good. God is good, and God can never, ever, ever fail. God can never fail. Turn around, punch somebody on the arm, and tell them God can't fail. The story goes on in Luke chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. One time. When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So there was a lot of groups of of priests and what they would do is they would all kind of you know draw lots and then they'd come inside and the, the members of that group would kind of rock, paper, scissors to see who would do the duty in the inner temple. And they kind of believed that God was in that rock, paper, scissors thing. God was choosing who was going to come close. And so Zechariah wins rock, paper, scissors, and he's going to go close. And so he believes God's chosen me. God is inviting me to come close personally. I am here because God is in control of who gets to come close. And he's, he goes into the first section behind the curtain, and he, there's still another curtain behind, you know, to the Holy of Holies, but he's right there. He's right before that inner chamber where Pompeii had marched in and marched back out. He was right before that inner chamber where God was said to visit earth inside that inner tent, and he was there to burn incense, and he was there to be noticed individually by God, and he gets there, and everybody else leaves the room. When the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside, and Zechariah is in this kind of shadowy and candlelit tent, and it's all kind of intense in there, Right? You know, it's, it's all, there's maybe a, a little bit of like fear, like maybe his heart's beating a little bit, right? It's a little bit scary, kind of like even though we're adults, when we turn off all the lights at night, we still run back to our bedroom. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. It's just, just a little bit scary, right? And, and he's there and... Wouldn't you know that in those circumstances, in that moment when everybody else left and it's kind of dark and kind of shadowy and animals have just been killed outside, it's bloody and smell, it's all a little bit weird and Zechariah's in there all by himself. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense and it freaked Zechariah out. Right? Just like it would scare you and me. Like, okay, angel, not cool. Right? Like, I I mean I think Zachariah is kind of like bent over, hands on knees, you know, like, what in the world? Why would you do this to me? And when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Of course he was. You would be too. There's an angel there all of a sudden, right? If you don't think you'd be scared, what we're gonna do is open up the church and we'll lock you in here one night. We'll turn off all the lights. Everybody will leave, you know, and we'll have you perform a bunch of animal sacrifices before you come in, just to make things extra weird. And then we'll make sure to remind you before we leave and lock that we don't really do animal sacrifice, just like that's not happening. But you know, but and then we'll we'll leave, but we'll be sure to remind you before we leave. Hey, don't think about demons. Don't think about all that other kind of stuff. You just stay here in the dark. And then we'll have an angel show up, and you can see. If you get scared or not. But this angel, he shows up, and it's not his first rodeo. He knows what Zechariah's reaction is going to be. And so he gives him the standard angel response. Like, this is what all angels say. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. That's how angels start every conversation just about in the Bible. Do not be afraid. How's it going? Yeah. How are the kids, right? Angels probably got to be really careful about their words, huh? And do not be afraid, you know, how's it going, how are the kids, why, what's going to happen to my kids, angel, like, you know, what are you trying to say, they probably got to be really careful about what they say, they, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm always a little, little skeptical of modern angel stories, like, I, I, I'm just going to admit it, I am, if you have one, I'm sorry, I'm a skeptic, I'm always skeptical of modern angel stories, because it seems like people say, well, I saw an angel, and it was so beautiful, and there was a light, and that wasn't a Bible angel. Like when Bible angels show up, they're big and they're scary. Even when they're not trying to be scary, the angels in the Bible always have to start out with fear not. And it's usually followed by a subtext in the footnotes that says, here, let me help you up. Like it's, it's always, always scary. And you know, people say, oh, well, I wish God would speak to me. I wish I could see an angel. I don't think you know what you're asking for. I don't want to see an angel. Like maybe one time in the daylight when we're in a you know huge open space and there's lots of people around, maybe a tiny one, but other than that, like I don't want to. Other than Chelsea, it's the only angel I want to see because angels in the Bible are scary. When God speaks to people in the Bible, even when God turns it down to a one, it's scary. Zachariah is all alone in this tented room with shadows and, and candles and animal blood, and an angel shows up, and this angel's only here to bring him good news, and Zechariah is still scared. And Zechariah is a good man. Like think if it had been you in there. Like I mean, you know, an angel shows up to us, you know, and, and we just start confessing stuff. like I promise I won't ever again, you know. I didn't mean it. I promise I will always from now on. The angel talks to him and he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, man, I think I'd just like to hear this sometimes, right? Like, God, you don't even have to explain things to me. You don't got to tell me that you're working it out. Just tell me that you hear me. Come on, somebody. Just tell me that you've noticed me. Just tell me that you see where I am. God, I just want to know that you are paying attention. That's why prayer is so important. If you want God to tell you that He's heard your prayers, you've got to give Him moments and you've got to give Him space to tell you that He has heard your prayers. And prayer is beautiful. Prayer is beautiful. And the angel goes on and he tells him, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, which you have always wanted, Zachariah, and you are to call him John. And if I can add to the story, and we'll find this out later on, it was going to be a famous John. We later find out that Zachariah's son is in fact John the Baptist, the one that comes to introduce Jesus to the world. Not only has God heard your prayer, not only is God going to answer your prayer, God's going to do it in a God-sized way, and you won't even believe what's going to happen when God fulfills your promise. Mm, mm. God can't fail. God can't fail. Come on, punch somebody on the other arm and tell them, God can't fail. He goes on and he tells them, he will be a joy and delight to you, not like Jared's kids. And many will rejoice because of his birth. I'm just kidding, Caleb in jail. For he will be great in the sight of of the Lord, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Wow! Israel hasn't seen God do anything for 700 years, hasn't heard from God in 400 years. Here's a baby that's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and step onto the scene and become a prophet and a leader among the nation of Israel. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why would would John bring back many? Because many had turned away. Why would he bring back many? Because many had left. Many had abandoned their hope. Many had abandoned their belief that God was going to bring the rescuer, the Messiah, through them. God hadn't spoken to them in 400 years. They thought it was over. But here comes heaven. Here comes the purpose and the plan of God. Here comes the miracle of divinity that could only happen in a divine way. But when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to still believe, isn't it? When you're still in the valley, it's hard to see that you could ever make it to the mountaintop, to climb out of your depression, to climb out of your doubt. You're not sure if you'll ever get there and thanks for the stories and I'm not really sure if I believe them. Thanks for everything you told me about our ancestries, but you know it was wonderful to share with my kids, wonderful to share with my grandkids, but you know it didn't feel like anything more than story. By the time that Zachariah's son was finally going to be born, and Zachariah loved his people. He was a priest for his people. I'm sure Zachariah was heartbroken for his people. And now an angel Shows up and tells him that the son that he has always wanted was going to be God's spark of renewal for a dead dream. God doing a God thing. And so then Zechariah does what maybe a lot of us would have done. He asked for a guarantee, he wants something to show his buddy. And Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. Now, and watch this, men. He gets very diplomatic. You know, I'm an old man and my wife is. Well, along in years. There's some wisdom in Zachariah's words, right? You know, like hey, I hear angel conversations get written down somewhere. So just in case anybody's listening, I'm the one that's old, and she's well along in years. Angel, angel, I love what you're saying. I've been praying for this. I almost stopped believing in this. I'm really glad you made the trip and all, but I think you might be too late. I'm an old man and my wife as well, along in years. I love what you're saying to me, but I just don't see how it could be possible. There is no human way that it could work out. We prayed in our 20s and we prayed in our 30s and we kind of prayed a little bit less in our 40s. And by 50s, it was just, you know, praying without really having any expectation. And I'm not really sure it can come true. Do you have any guarantee? For me, and I love what the angel says. The angel says, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel, man. You're talking to an angel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Talk about impossible things. You're talking with an angel. Like, I mean, do you measure impossibility? What's your standard of measure? For impossibility. Is it more possible for you to speak to an angel than for your wife to become pregnant? And I wonder for us too, like when God's on the other side of a prayer, like what's impossible? What's too big to believe? What's too hard to believe? What's so far gone that you can't imagine God? Do you realize who you're talking to? Mm, How do we measure impossible? So the angel tells him, now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. And I love this next phrase. This is the message right here. If you fell asleep and dozed off, like tune back in right here. This is it. You ready for this? This is the message. This is the thing. Here comes hope. Here comes possibility. Here comes heaven. Heaven. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Did you get it? At their appointed time. Wait, wait, wait. You mean that God has had this day marked on a calendar? You mean that every prayer I've prayed actually got through? You mean that when I had almost stopped believing that God was still working behind the scenes and he had already made an appointment for my prayer to be answered? Oh, come on, somebody that's giving up hope. Come on, somebody that's being attacked with doubts and fears that God has forgotten. Your name, his word, his promise is going to come true. It may not happen when you want it. It may not happen how you want it. But God cannot fail. And God's word will come true when God says it's time. Mm. And when God says it's time, old age can't stop it. When God says it's time, human impossibility can't stop it. God can never fail. God has not forgotten you. God hears every word. He sees every tear that you cry. Every time your heart has been broken, He's treasured that moment and gotten it ready to give you the answer that He planned to give you all along. Zachariah, I can't hardly believe this. Wait, you're telling me that when, you know, after Solomon, when our, our kingdom and, 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 you know, the Rome, Romans and the Assyrians and Pompeii and the you mean that God let all that happen because it wasn't time yet? You're telling me that God was guiding history? You're telling me God was really in control all along? Hello, somebody? You're telling me that when some of my people abandoned him and walked away, God knew it would happen, and God actually planned that my promise would be the way that he would call them back to to himself? You're telling me God is in charge? You're telling me that God has been working to bring the whole world to focus its attention on Israel so his promise bringing people could bring the promise keeper into the world? The angel would have said yes, yes, yes to it all. Imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth's broken heart for years, unable to have children, for years praying prayers that seemed to just bounce back off the ceiling. You mean that my personal pain, my anxiety, and our years of enduring the stigma over not having children, all our prayers, and all our believing, and all of our asking, you mean that God had a plan all along you mean that when I thought God was saying no, he was really just telling me not yet? And even though it didn't come true when I thought it should, even though it didn't come to pass how I thought it should? You mean that God was never absent even though God was silent? You mean that when God promised me he'd never leave or forsake me that he actually came through on that? Come on, somebody. We doubt God so often. Do, we, do you really want a God that's only as smart as you? Do I really want a God that's only as smart as me? Do I really want a God as short-sighted as I am? I can barely see my finances into the first quarter of next year. God, help me, I can barely see my finances past December 24th, right? Like, I'm worried about Christmas is in danger this year, kids. I'm telling you, like, do I really want a God that has limited resources, Do I really want to serve a God and live my life for a God who has limited knowledge and limited understanding and limited moves within limits? This life might try and put no, I want a God that is limitless. I want a God that exists beyond it all, outside of it all, above it all, holds it all in His hand. That's the God I want to serve. That's the God I do serve. God, I may not understand. God, I may not figure it all out, but I don't need to you be God and I'll be me and I'll put my trust in you to be what I could never be come on somebody all over this room could you close your eyes and begin to lift up your voice and tell him God God take control God help me to get past my doubts God help me to move past the voices that are lying about your goodness see your promise see your promise Christmas that tells me that you are the ultimate good. Meanwhile, outside, people are getting nervous. They're waiting for Zachariah, wondering why in the world is he in there so long? When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, and his hair was standing on end, and his face was white. He kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. And when the time of his service was completed, he, returned. he didn't even leave work early. That's how good of a guy he was. Man, I would have asked for three days after that happened. Notice in verse 24, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. For five months, she remained in seclusion. And I love, I love, I love what Elizabeth said in verse 25. The Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The Lord has done this for me. Zechariah couldn't do this. My body is well along in years. There's no human way this could be possible, but the Lord has done this for me. There was no answer that we could figure out. There was no solution that we ever came across. No amount of money we could pay to have our dreams fulfilled. But the Lord has done this for me. He heard every prayer. He saw my broken heart. And in these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Any witnesses in the room this morning that when you wait on God's plan the end turns out more amazing than you ever could have hoped for? Anybody well along in years here today that can give witness to the rest of us young whippersnappers that when God shows favor, it takes away your disgrace? That when God shows favor, it always exalts His purpose through you in a way that you could never have done on your own? You know, I, I, uh, we're getting close to closing here, I promise, but... In my experiences, you know, with dad pastoring, Jason and I, were you grew up in a, a pastor's home. You see a lot of things, and you hear a lot of stories about people in different backgrounds. And then in my time of pastoring myself, the, the longer that I pastor, you know, you work with people, and, and and sometimes people seem to be okay, but there's something that still feels a little bit off. And they come to, to church, and they're, they're, they follow God, but just there's something there that... You can kind of sense, you know, and I, I, I don't know what it is, and maybe it's God trying to speak through a pastor, or trying to give guidance or counsel through a pastor, but I, I've learned over time that you, just, you can't force God. You can't force God's timing. You can't force God's hand. You can't force God's purpose and try and get God's huge purpose to fit in your tiny idea box. Like it doesn't work that way. God will never be forced. God is determined to do his thing and God is determined to do his thing his way in his own time. And when God is allowed to be God and when you let God do his thing his way, I am telling you, it turns out amazing and way better than we could ever make it happen on our own. I am not God and you are not God and thank God for that what God does. is amazing. And for every person in this room, listen to me. God has marked your day on a calendar. Your prayers have been heard. Your heartache is seen, and God knows. God understands even when you don't think He possibly could. So God, help us today. God, help us on December 2nd. As we come closer and closer and closer to Christmas and the hope and the excitement and the anticipation and everything else, God, God, help us to remember your appointed time. God, show us your favor. God, take away our disgrace among the people. The Lord has done this for me. And in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I wonder this morning, and I'm pretty sure there are, because we're all people. Anybody struggling with unanswered prayers? You don't have to lift your hands. Anybody struggling, wrestling with unanswered prayers? Come on, anybody struggling with a a weak faith, an unsure faith? Like, I want to be good, I want to be a Christian, but I'm just not sure. Like, I've faced this thing, I've had this thing for so long, I've asked so many times, I've asked in so many ways, and I just don't even know if God even hears me. I'm not even sure God sees me or understands. Anybody about to give up and walk away? Maybe you did give up and walk away, and maybe you feel something on the inside that wonders if you gave up too soon. I want to tell you this morning, God is not absent. God has heard every prayer. And if any story in all of human history should fill you with hope, it's a story Of Christmas. It's all of the events and all of the lives and all of the threads of a tapestry that God pulled together and wove into the greatest story that we have ever known, that we have ever heard. That there was a lie that was spoken to the original people, and it's been spoken to you too, that God is not good. But God was still good, and God sent His promised rescuer into the world to prove by one act that He is supremely good, that He is eternally good, that even when we are not good, He remains good, that even when we are not faithful, God can never be unfaithful. And there's hope. There's hope. God knows what you need better than what you know, right? I mean, like, if God knows best, or rather, if God doesn't know best, then God is not God. Do you ever think about that? In all of the confusion, all of the doubt and everything else, like either God knows best or God is not God. And you've had a lie whispered to you that you know better on your own. You've had thoughts that it's not worth it. You've had thoughts that tell you you're not getting anywhere. Something told you that maybe God is not as good as what you could find without God. I'm here to tell you this morning, it's a lie. It is a lie. You are chasing something that will disappear as soon as your hand touches it. But at Christmas, he wants to remind you, He is good. He is faithful. And God can never fail. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.